All right, good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here on this beautiful, sunny summer, not summer, but it was sunny like the last couple of days. Wasn't that awesome? I was, I was thinking it was summer for a while, but um, we've been in this series called He Gets Us, which you've probably seen around town or on the news and things like that. It's getting a lot of publicity, which is pretty cool. Um, now, some people, Christians and non-Christians, are like, whoa, is this good? Is this weird? Is this heretical, and we kind of had the same questions when we first heard about it, but we kind of checked it out and thought, this is a neat thing. The goal is just to help people be introduced to Jesus. And so we kind of designed a series with the same title so we could teach who Jesus is and what it means to every single person. So if you're here today, if you're a believer in Jesus or not, um, we just want to continually talk about who he is from Scripture, and we hope that you'll come to put your faith in him as your Savior. If you're here and you are a Christian, then this is the, the Jesus we serve. We'll see what he said, we get to see what he did, and what it means to our life, how we're supposed to live in response to it. So we're in a series called He Gets Us. If you brought a Bible, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 5. Last week we looked at Jesus' baptism, and Matthew tells us that story too. And how he just gets in line one day, even though he's Jesus, he gets baptized and he tells us to do the same. And today we're going to look at something that he said. And um, like Reese said, we're talking about how he, he tells us to turn the other cheek. Did anybody ever have their parents tell you to turn the, your other cheek when you were a kid? If you grew up in like some Christian family or maybe with a Christian grandma, they might tell you like that's what you're supposed to do and it just sounds weird and you don't know what that means. Or it sounds wrong because it's like... Am I supposed to get hit twice? I don't understand this. And so I want to look at what Jesus actually said and then talk about kind of what he means from that. So I'm going to try this one more time, Isaac, and then uh, if I can't get it, you'll have to help me out. But I got nothing. So you want to throw that verse up for me? Thanks for your help. All right. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking. In Matthew chapter 5, we're in the middle of one of his most famous speeches, one of his most famous sermons. He's on this hill they call the Mount of Olives, so nowadays we refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about all kinds of things, right? And uh, he kind of gets up in our face and challenges us on how to live. And he promises us that he knows best. When we trust him, we follow him, it's better for us. It's better for the people around us. And one of the things he talks about is revenge, retaliation, our attitude, our, our reactions. And here's what he says. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38, he says this. You have heard that it was said. Now in this sermon, he says that a lot, right? He, if you read Matthew 5 and into 6, as he talks about how you interact with people uh, and, and how you treat people and things like this and how you live your life and what it comes to sexuality and things, he says, here's what you've heard, but I'm going to tell you a better way to live. And a lot of times he takes what was supposed to happen and he steps it up. He says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Thank you. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. This is a weird thing. I don't know how often you've been slapped, you know, anywhere, let alone on the cheek. Um, but Jesus is like, if that happens to you, just get ready. What you're going to do is offer them the other cheek, which means 
endure it, take it, ask for some more. And, and that's not quite exactly what he means. Now, I do think when he says, uh, you know, slapped on the right cheek, he probably means it could be physical. You could, you know, someone could hurt you physically. But I think he means way more than that. I think he means emotionally with their words. If they insult you, if they insult your, your, who you are, your dignity, right? Uh, when he says on the right cheek, because just like nowadays, back then, most people were right-handed. In fact, there's several times in the scripture where it talks specifically if someone was left-handed, which cracks me up. Because even back then, it was so weird. There's one of the guys in the judges, and it's like, and he handled his sword left-handed. You know, what a weirdo. You know, and like they would make note of it. So I think if a right-handed person slaps you, it's going to be on your left cheek, right? Unless they do this backhand thing. And we also, we also talk about kind of a backhanded insult, right? And like, so I think it could mean physical. It could just mean being insulted, uh, hurt your feelings, wrong you in, in many ways. And he says, when that happens to you, you turn the other cheek. Now, let me tell you, and this is all through scripture, what Jesus is not saying He's not saying that Christians are supposed to be doormats, that we just get walked all over, we just open ourselves up to it, we, we never stand up for ourselves. Like that's, he's not saying every good Christian just allows themselves to get pushed around and beat up and stepped on. That's not what he says. In fact, we see the apostles and we see Jesus himself avoid conflict and you know, um, stand up for themselves and, and question people when they were out of place. So he's not just saying we're supposed to be a doormat. He's not saying we can never ever defend ourselves. Again, all through scripture, we see God's people and, and Jesus' followers defend themselves and they're, and they're right for that. And, and so it's like, well, how do I know when I defend myself when I don't? How do I know when to stand up for myself when I not? He's not saying that we should stay in abusive relationships. He's not saying when someone really, you know, abuses you in any, physically or in any way that we should just take it and, and expect to, to get worse because he said to offer them your other cheek, to turn the other cheek. That's not what he's saying. He, it's hard to teach and understand, especially if you're a parent, you, you go through this with your kids. In one way, you're trying to tell them, don't get revenge, don't hit back, right? Like that's, they were wrong for doing that to you and you're wrong for doing that to them back, right? Like in our house, we'll say, don't be a revenger. I don't even know if that's a word, but we made it up because we're, we're trying to teach kids not to hit back, not to call names back, not to take it out, you know, not to get them, even, to get even, to get back. It's like, don't be like, an Avenger is this cool superhero guy in the movies, but a Revenger is like equally wrong to whatever happened to you. Like, we'll just say, they were wrong and then you were wrong back. You know, that doesn't give you the right, like, don't be a Revenger. But then we're also trying to teach our kids to stand up for yourself. You know, when someone says something that's not true, it's okay to say that's not true. Like, to express your feelings, to not just let people steal your lunch, right? Like, like you've got to stand up for yourself. So it's sometimes hard to find the balance of I'm going to stand up for myself and I am a human with worth that, you know, it's worth standing for the truth and standing for myself and standing for my family and I shouldn't just be a doormat or, or, or put myself into abusive situations. But Jesus is saying that we should not try to get revenge. And I would say it like this. Jesus is saying that we should refuse revenge. See, standing up for yourself is different than retaliation or revenge. Our human nature, what we naturally want, from toddlers to grown men, we want to get back with people. We want to get even with people. You hit me, I'll hit you back. You call me a name, I'll call you a name back. You gossip about me, I'll gossip about you. You hurt my business, I'll, you know, on and on. We do it from little kids. No one teaches us that. It's inside of us. We want to get back. We want to hit back. We want to get even. That's retaliation. That's revenge. And that's different than just standing up for yourself. Walking away from a relationship that's abusive. You know, getting out of a situation where you're constantly being taken advantage of. So Jesus is saying, 
I want you guys to refuse revenge. Don't let yourself go there emotionally. Don't let yourself think about it mentally, coming up with ways, you know, a good line to hit them back or, a, 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 you know, this great scheme to hurt them somehow. Like, that's sinful. He's like, that's crossing the line. We have dignity and worth, and we should stand up for ourselves and for our church and for our king, but we shouldn't go after revenge. So in our family, we say, don't be a revenger. And we've had mild success with this. We've had major failures with this, you know. And uh, one of the funniest examples is I got twin boys. No offense, guys. They're in here. But, you know, little boys are just dumb. We had a girl and we had boys. There's a major difference. If you've got more than one kid, you can see. And we were kind of spoiled with our girl first. But, like, as stupid as little boys are by themselves, imagine two of them at the same age. Like, at least my brother was two years older than me, so he could once in a while say, that's not a good idea, right? But when you have two boys the same age, you have twice as many bad ideas, and no one's saying that's not a good idea. So their fights were hilarious. I mean, everything about, you know, they were just always entertaining us or frustrating us or a little bit of both at the same time. But one time, one of them, I don't remember who, you guys can tell me after church, one of them was angry at the other one for something. Thing. They were like four years old, maybe, and they wanted to get back at the other one, and so they knew like dad doesn't like if we call names or hit, so I, I'm smart, I'm sneaky, I'll get you, and I know how to get you. I really know what will hurt you. This is going to be so good. I'm going to take your jacket, and I'm going to fart in its hood. <laughs> and that other guy would not wear that jacket for months. Like, and no matter how cold it got outside, he'll never forget that, that I mean... It sounded silly to me, but in four-year-old world, it was like top-notch revenge. I mean, it worked. It lasted. And they, they were so grossed out by that idea. It was hilarious to us and frustrating. Like, put your coat on. No. You know, like months ago, this happened. And he's like, I got him bad, right? And we're like, that's revenge. That was wrong. It was hilarious, but it was, it was wrong. You know, it's funny sometimes with little kids. It's cute sometimes how they bicker, how they fight, how they want to get each other back. Um, but it gets uglier as we get older. It becomes embarrassing. I've been embarrassed by my own reactions. It becomes dangerous to ourselves and to the people around us, to our relationships. It can become toxic. It can ruin our witness. It can ruin our relationships. It can ruin our families and our marriages, our business relationships. I mean, it's cute and it's funny to an extent when they're four years old. But it's embarrassing and it's dangerous and it's ugly the older we get. But we don't outgrow it. We don't outgrow that feeling that I want to, I need to, you deserve this. This is, you know, I'm going to get you back. But what happens is we don't get each other back. We, we continue to one-up. This is why my brother and I would fight. If he hurt me on accident, I'd hurt him back on purpose, right? Like when your brother hits you, you hit him at least as hard, maybe a little harder. And then he hurts you a little, you know, and then it, it escalates. And all of a sudden you're fighting. And it didn't start from anything important. And it, we still do this as adults. We just don't hit each other in the shoulder anymore. It's, it looks different, but it feels the same. And Jesus gets this. He gets us. He understands our, our, our fickle feelings and our, our natural responses. And so he says, I want you to refuse revenge. Don't go there mentally. Don't go there emotionally. Don't dream about it. Don't desire it. Don't let yourself carry it out because it's not good for you. It's not going to work. And so he says, I want better for you. I got a better idea. And he comes along in Matthew chapter 5 and he steps up what we're called to do. And he says, you've heard it said, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I got a better way. Now, when he says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, this is what they've heard. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see it in there. And all kinds of other nations in the world at that time had this same kind of code. And it, it makes sense. Like, if, if, if you do this, you deserve the same thing done to you. And it was meant to help. 
This is a God-given law to Moses and his Israelite followers because it wanted to do two things. First, I know that I deserve punishment if I do wrong. So hopefully it helps people like just decide not to steal or kill or do evil things because it's meant to deter me from doing bad, first of all, because I know that the law says I deserve punishment. If I, you know, if, I, if I gouge out your eye, I lose an eye. If I punch out your tooth, I lose a tooth. On and on it goes. And so it was meant to say, okay, I better not do that evil, bad thing because I got punishment coming. But secondly, God knows our, our intuition is to one-up, right? Like, you gouge out my eye, I'm going to gouge out both of your eyes, right? Like, you stole my lamb, I'm going to burn down your house. You burn down my house, I'm going to burn down your whole village, right? Like, we don't eye for an eye. We like two eye for every eye because that's just the human nature. So it was, one, supposed to say, hey, by the way, don't do bad things because you'll get in trouble. But also, it was meant to protect us from ourselves of one-upping in our retaliation and constantly making it worse. And so you can see how it was meant to help, but it did more harm than good. It was more harmful than it was helpful because instead, this eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth code that was written in the law now makes us feel justified every time we get our feelings hurt. Now, I'm a godly person for getting you back because God says I can, and I feel like God says I should, and so now I feel entitled to this, and I feel I can rationalize it, and I'm justified in my own thoughts of why you deserve this, and like, nobody forgives. There's no room for I love you anyways and I'll forget about it and I'll forgive you because the law said I get to gouge out your teeth now. I get to steal your wife now. I get to steal your cow now. Whatever it is, this is right and there's just no forgiveness. And instead of becoming as helpful as we, God wanted it to be, we twist it and use it in, in the worst ways to make it harmful. So Jesus comes along and he gives us a better way. It, it, it's not natural, but it's better. And he says I want you to refuse Revenge. Think about it this way. You can de-escalate if you don't retaliate, right? There's your rhyme for the week. And I don't know if that'll help you not retaliate in the moment, but in your mind, you know it's true. Because when you want to retaliate, and you're thinking, this is just tooth for tooth, right? Like, this is just fair. I'm just getting even. But we want to get even, but usually we do better than get even. And even if we only get even, they think we did better than get even. And so now they want to get even with us, and we're more hurt by it. And like, it just doesn't, it never feels even. It's never like we shake about it like, that was fair, good job, thank you so much for retaliating, I learned my lesson. Like, that doesn't happen. The only way it, it, it ever goes away and we ever reconcile our relationships is if we just decide, I'm not going to retaliate. Because every time I retaliate, I actually escalate the situation. I make it worse. I continue the fight. I raise the fight to another level, whether that's with my words, whether that's with my typing on a screen or on a phone, right, on some website or message board, uh, whether that's in the office or at home or wherever it is, every time I retaliate, I actually make it worse. And Jesus is like, just refuse, just refuse retaliation. Refuse revenge. You will be so much better off. You will de-escalate the situation. You will heal relationships quicker. You'll feel better if you forgive. So he's like, forget the eye for an eye thing. It did more harm than help. And, and, and just try to refuse revenge, and you'll be so glad you did. The other thing is, Jesus does this. You know, we said last week, Jesus never tells us to do anything that he doesn't do. And so he tells his followers to turn the other cheek, and Jesus does this himself. Jesus lived, and no doubt, more than we even know in Scripture, because he lived a whole life. People lied to him, people hurt him, people gossiped about him, people hated him, right? Whether that was family or friends or 
people in the church. I mean, he, he, he lived the same kinds of things that we did. But we also see that he was insulted, that he was misjudged, that he was mistreated, that he was beaten. He went through all these things, and we see him not retaliate. He shows us that it can be done. And then he shows us that God can use it for good. Because if Jesus decides to take matters into his own hands and call down the angels and whatever he's going to do because they deserve it, eye for an eye, then he doesn't go to the cross. And he doesn't have the power to forgive your sins. And we're all helpless. And God does so much good from him deciding not to retaliate, just to refuse revenge, to turn the other cheek. So this idea of refusing revenge, this is good advice. Whether you're a Christian or not, if you just try this, I guarantee you it will be better for you. It will be better for your relationships. But if you are a Christian, this is what Jesus tells us to do. He looks at his followers and he says, I want you to refuse revenge. I want you to be audacious enough to turn the other cheek. Open yourself up to more insult rather than insult back. He says, this is what's best. He showed us that it can be done and he showed us that God uses it for good. I want to show you one more verse. I'll put this on the screen in Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul comes along. He's writing to Christians, and this is what he says. He's just really straight up. He says, do not take revenge. He could have put a period there, and God would have blessed it, right? Because uh, this is what Jesus said to do. Paul just says it a little bit more like straight to the point. He says to Christians, don't take revenge. I know they hurt your feelings. I know they were wrong. I know it was really bad. I know you want to get them back. I know it feels like you should. I know everyone else says that that's normal. But if you're a Christian, do not take revenge. He says this, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, when we take revenge, when we dream up our retaliation and we know it's a good one and it's going to work and our friends will think we're okay for doing it, like, that's being overcome by evil. That's having something evil happen to you and then you do evil in retaliation. And the Apostle Paul agrees with Jesus and says, that's not good for you. That's not good for them. That's not what God wants. And he says, leave room for God's wrath, which means God sees God cares. God is large and in charge. He promises to eventually, in his own time and in his own way, once and for all, punish evil and reward righteousness. So, like, don't try to take that from God. Let him, like, just bring it to God. Now, again, Jesus is not saying you should just get walked all over and just say, please, can I have some more? Like, that, that's not the point. We can stand up for ourselves appropriately, but when we switch it to retaliation and revenge, we're sinning. And we're taking away what God says, it is mine to avenge. It is mine to judge. He's the perfect and just judge. So he says, if you can trust me, I'll take care of it. But it's hard to do. Now, why would Paul say this to Christians about 2,000 years ago? The answer is because he knew, just like today, our natural human instinct is to seek revenge. So the early church struggled with with this issue just like we do. And they didn't even have social media, right? Like, wow, what's wrong with them? At least we got an excuse. You know, like, they struggle with the same issues because they were humans just like us. And Jesus came and he's like, you guys got to just decide in your mind you're going to refuse revenge. And then, like, 
Years later, Paul's writing to these new Christians in these early churches, and he says, guys, you just got to not get revenge. Like, I know the world says to do it, but it's not good. It looks good. It sounds good. It might feel good for a second, but it's not what God wants for you. Humans of every age of history have struggled with this idea of retaliation and revenge because that's how we feel, and that's what we think we deserve. And your ability to turn the other cheek doesn't come from just deciding you're going to be a better person. That helps, but that won't fix it. Your only ability to turn the other cheek comes from actually trusting God. When Paul says, leave room for God's wrath, God's, God takes it on himself. He says, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. God's telling you, I see what she said. I see what he did. I see what happened to your business. I see everything, and I care completely. God is holy. He cannot tolerate sin at any, at, at, in any way. He, he He's patient with us. He's patient with everyone, but he sees it and he cares and he promises he knows what's best. So do you trust that God is in control or not? When it comes down to refusing revenge, it comes down to do you trust that God's in control or not? Now you can leave the situation. You can stand up for yourself. You can stand up for the truth, but without retaliating. And then you can say, it's because I trust God. I don't have to get you back or get even or make my snide comment or whatever it is. Do you trust that God's good or not? Because you might say, well, yeah, God, he's God, but he, he's biased. You're, he, he's not as good as, he must not be good. If, if this, you know, can you believe that God's in control or not? Do you believe that God is good or not? Do you believe that he actually sees and notices and cares or not? If you believe that he's good and he's in charge and he sees and he notices and he cares, then it's easier to say, okay, it's God's to take care of. I'll stand up for myself. I'll stand up for my family. I'll stand up for the truth. I'll be appropriate, but I will refuse revenge. Do you trust that God will reward and punish as he sees fit? If he's the perfect God, the real king of all kings, the just, justice-giving God that we believe he is, if you believe that, then it's easier to refuse revenge. See, your ability to turn the other cheek comes down to, do you really trust God or not? Do you trust that he's in control? Do you trust that he's good? Do you trust that he notices? And do you trust his judgment on how and when and in what ways he rewards and he punishes. You know, maybe you could sleep easier saying, no, God will take care of him. If that's what it takes, then, then believe it, because God will. Maybe not the way you wish, maybe not the way you think, maybe not in the timing that you think, but you can just say, all right, God, I'll let you deal with him. I'll deal with me. And you know, you'll sleep a little better. Or it helps you sleep by saying, okay, God, I did good. Did you notice that? Do you care? Will you bless me for it? Because I think he will. Now, again, it might not be like you wake up and there's a Lexus in your, in your driveway with a huge bow on it. You know, that could happen, but probably not. But he does bless us in all kinds of ways. I think often he draws closer to us and gives more of himself to us when we follow him well. And, and he, I can go to sleep easier believing, even if I made a tough decision, that he rewards righteousness and obedience. And so whether one side or the other or a little bit of both helps you when you really trust in who God is, then you can refuse revenge. Now, if anyone in Scripture, besides Jesus, if anyone ever had an excuse to retaliate, it was David, Right? King David, this is the same kid that killed Goliath, and God said he'd be the next king. But until he becomes king, the, the real El Guapo, who is, no, the real king is trying to get him. And so uh, he's running for his life. This guy has literally tried to kill him several times. He's hunting him down with an army. He's hiding in a cave to try to not be killed by the king. He's literally at war with his handful of guys following him compared to this army. And 
And God's on his side, but it doesn't feel like it. And he's hiding on a cave. And in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and again in 26, he's got two opportunities where the king is unaware that David's right there. And he could just wipe him out. And he'd be the new king. And God said he would be king. It feels like he should do it. It feels like this is what God wants him to do. He's got these like followers with him and these little rebel army that he's created. And and they're saying, this is your chance. Go get him. If anything, it would feel like self-defense. He's been trying to kill you anyways. You're just trying to stop his unjust actions with, you know, doing what, you, you know, Saul deserved it. He's the bad guy. Like you can always be mean to bad guy. Like this is your chance. And so there's this time where he's in a cave hiding and Saul's with his army, and he's like, I gotta go to the bathroom, hold on. And he goes by himself to this cave. It's in the scriptures. You gotta read the Bible, it's hilarious. It says he relieved himself, but we all know it was going down. So he goes into this cave, and uh, David's guys are like, There he is, go kill him. You'll end the war, you'll become king. God has delivered him into your hands. This is what you need to do. And David will not do it. He spares his life. Now he sneaks up behind him, and he cuts off part of his robe, and then he goes out afterwards, like, Hey, dude, I could have killed you. And Saul's like, oh, I'm such a bad person. Please forgive me. And then Saul still tries to kill him. So then like a couple chapters later, they, are, they stumble onto Saul and his whole army, and they're like passed out of sleep. And they sneak up to him, and David's right-hand man is like, let me kill him. This is what God wants. He's tried twice now to let you kill him. And, Saul, and I want to show you what David says. He says this. As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him. Or his time will come and he'll die. Or he'll go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now, if anybody was right in retaliating, it's David. And, and people are cheering him on to doing it. And, and, and it happens twice as if God's like saying, I'm trying to, get, you know. And he says, no, God can take care of this. I'm going to let God take, I don't know if he'll die in battle. I don't know if he'll just get old, which would mean David's running for his life for a long time. But he's like, as surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him or, or wipe him out somehow, some way. I'm going to let God take care of this for me. David trusts God to take care of himself and to take care of his enemy. In the same way, you can trust God to take care of you and to take care of them. That person, your enemy. Now, we don't use the word enemy very often because it sounds like, oh yeah, David had enemies trying to kill him. I just got like this guy at work I don't get along with, right? But whatever, you know, this neighbor that doesn't like when I mow the lawn a certain way or whatever we have as enemies these days. But in our minds, we're like, I hate that guy and I'll show him. You know, like we do this because we don't refuse revenge naturally. We have to trust God with that. But just like we see David, he's like, God will take care of Saul and God will take care of me. I know I'm tired. I'm running for my life. This is, you know, God said I was going to be king and I'm kind of wishing he didn't because this has been terrible ever since. But he says, I'm going to trust God to bless me and take care of me and provide for me and protect me and to look out for me. And I'm going to trust God to take care of Saul, whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it. And David is called a man after God's own heart. God's like, I love that guy. He didn't listen to the crowds telling him to do it. He didn't take either of the opportunities that came his way to take matters into his own hand. He leaves room, like Paul says, for the wrath of God because it's his to avenge. So Jesus tells us to refuse revenge, but then he keeps going. It's not as if that wasn't enough. It's not enough to just say what we're not supposed to do. He says what we should do in the next couple verses. He says this, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, 
if you're standing there in the crowd when Jesus is teaching, you're like, all right, the refusing revenge thing, that sounds like I'm going to have a hard time, but if I can just work on that, that's enough for today. Maybe next semester I'll come back and take the 2.0. And Jesus is like, no, no, while you're trying not to, you know, retaliate, I want you then to try to love them. Oh, and pray for him even. He tells us to love and forgive and pray for our enemies, which is ridiculous. Like, who does that? Jesus' followers do that. Jesus did that. He never does, he never says to do anything that he doesn't do. You know, when the night he was betrayed and eventually arrested and killed, he's praying for you and me in the garden. He's praying for everybody that would ever believe. And we are sinful people in need of a Savior. We're the reason he died, and he's praying for us. He loved his enemies. While he's hanging on the cross, he literally prays for the people who are killing him. He says, Father, I want you to forgive them. I'd be like, Father, I want you to give them the worst case of hemorrhoids so they can never sit again. You know, like, I mean, I, no, no, no. He, he prays that God would forgive them because he genuinely loves his enemies. So he's not hypocritical at all when he tells us, try to love your enemies. You could trust God to take care of you. You could trust God to take care of them. And then you could pray for them. You can forgive them. You can love them. And this will go better because every time you retaliate, you make the thing, the whole relationship, the whole situation, the whole fight gets worse. So just refuse revenge. And while you're at it, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I want to show you again how Jesus did it. Check out what Peter says. Now, Peter was there when this went down. Peter was like God's right-hand man. He took over when Jesus went to heaven. He led the early church. And this is what he tells to the early Christians when he's telling the story. He says this, When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is what Jesus told us to do. This is what Peter tells us to do. This is what Paul reminded the early church that we're supposed to do. We don't make threats. We don't retaliate. We trust ourselves and our situation to our perfect king who judges justly. And look what happens because it's in verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Peter's saying, if he didn't go through it, you're not forgiven. He did it for you. He loved you when you were his enemy. And the idea is Jesus' unexpected act of love turns his enemies into friends. When you put your faith in Jesus, he forgives your sins. He calls you friend. That we are friends of God because of what Jesus did. Because he didn't get revenge on his enemies. He loved his enemies. And so... He takes his enemies and makes them friends. It's so awesome. What a great move. I was like, oh, nobody would have thought of that. And then he says, this is what I want you to do. Now, you love your enemies. You decide not to retaliate. You might become great friends with them. I've heard stories of this happening. It happens all the time, but it's not promised. Here's the thing. The goal is not that your enemies become your friends. The goal is that your enemies become friends of God. Scripture says that God doesn't want anybody to perish. No matter what they did to you or what they say to you or how they treated your kids or whatever else gets under your skin, we can decide to refuse revenge and love them and pray for them and trust God to take care of us and trust God to deal with them and give it to God and still go to sleep at night. And as we pray for them, our prayer is, God, I hope you change their heart. You know, the same guy, David, he wrote all these uh, songs and prayers and poetry, and, and you can read it in the book of Psalms. Some of them are hilarious because he really is like, kill him, God! Take out all my enemies! 
wipe them out, make sure their family knows how bad they suffered, right? Like he has these crazy prayers and I'm always like, did God approve of that prayer? He wrote it down in the Bible. So am I supposed to steal that prayer and make it my own for my, I don't know. It's a little confusing, but David was a human too. And he had these feelings, but he was trying his hardest to honor God when the rubber hit the road. And so God gets us. He gets our feelings. He gets our intuitions and our natural sinful reactions. And he says, I want you to review, refuse revenge. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for the people that get under your skin the most. And, and maybe they'll become your friend, but that's not the biggest deal. The biggest deal is that they would someday know Jesus. And it might be their enemy that shows them Jesus the most clearly. Because they know that you want to retaliate. They know how natural revenge is. They might know that they deserve it and they've got it coming. They, maybe they're waiting for you to take that next swing. And it totally throws them off when you don't. The goal is that they would become friends of God. So, whoever it is that wrongs you. And this happens in so many ways in our culture. It could happen face-to-face. It could happen online. It could happen online in like a direct message just between you and them. Or it could happen online in front of the world in public comment boxes, right? And you feel so mad about how it went. I mean, this could happen online. This could happen at school. This could happen at work. This could happen, someone could wrong you that you thought was a good friend. And it hurts even worse. Or someone that you're related to that you thought, I thought you were supposed to love me. Now it hurts even more than if it was somebody I don't know very well. A lot of times it happens in traffic. You don't know the person at all, but you hate them, right? Unfortunately, I have those same feelings. And my wife tells me, you failed that time. That was not the way to get them. Like, and, and so we all have these feelings. And so Jesus comes and Peter reminds us and Paul reminds us because he says, you're going to be blown away at what I can do. Jesus showed us that it's possible. He showed us how much God can use it when we just decide to pause and pray and trust that God is God and God is good and try our hardest to respond like Jesus. If you don't have that going on right now, you're like, I don't have any angst. Nobody's against me. Then just wait. I got a feeling someday soon you'll be able to practice this because it just happens in life. And in the meantime, I think honestly as Christians with each other, we can calmly, appropriately, help each other do this well. Not stir it, you know, what we accidentally do is we stir each other up to, yeah, you, he was wrong, go get him. But instead we can say, well, what, what would Jesus say? Not, now, we should never rub each other's face in the Bible and, and use Bible verses to hurt each other's feelings and stuff. No, but like, if we can just, if we can help other people pause, help each other pray, help each other trust that God is good, help each other think about how to respond like Jesus. That's what we're called to do for, we, for each other. Now, can you imagine what your life would look like if you did this every time? You can think back to past issues and, and relationships, or you might think of something that's going on right now, but think about the witness your life would have if this is the way you reacted. You could probably, if you're like me, I can think of ways that I've blown it and times I wish I would have responded better if I had only responded like Jesus and refused revenge. Can you imagine what God would do through our relationships if we all just did that? Just the Christians in the world. If, if Christians got this right, you know, the way we argue with culture and the way Jesus is represented, and, and, and we can't get around that. Jesus, he's predicted to be a stumbling stone, which means the people that love him will love him and some people will hate him for it. But I think if we just refused revenge and loved our enemies and responded like Jesus, we would have a much different impact in the world. We would have a whole lot more people who would love Jesus because of the way Jesus' followers Love them. So what I want to do is I want to just lead us in a prayer as we close. Would you stand? 
And I want to pray for myself. I want to pray for all of us that this week we would do our very best to pause, pray, trust God, and respond like Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this church, for this, this group of people who come together in your name. And we do, God, we ask that you'd bless us in all the ways you know our best. We ask that you'd bless us with more of you. Grow our heart for you. Grow our heart for each other. Grow our heart for the world. God, this is a hard teaching that Jesus comes and gives. This is one we wish we could skip over because we don't like it. But we trust that you know what's best. And we can see, yeah, when we, when we get revenge, it, it makes everything worse. So God, as hard as it is, I pray that you'll help us to refuse revenge and that we'll see you work through it. Thank you that you never ask us to do anything that you wouldn't do and you already did. God, when we really pause and think about it, our goal, what we want, is for our enemies to become your friends. God, the people that we might get the most mad at, feel the most hurt by, help us to love them. And we just pray for them right now like you told us to. We pray that somehow they will meet you and they will, if, if, if we've been hurt and wronged by someone who knows you, then Holy Spirit, we, we ask that you would work in their heart to bring them closer to you and that we would be reconciled with them, but most importantly, that they would live rightly with you and experience your forgiveness. For anyone that doesn't know you yet, God, no matter how bad they might hurt us or the people near us or the people we love, God, we want them to come to recognize their need for a Savior and to put their faith in you. God, when we recognize how much we needed you and we actually sit still long enough, we realize we're all equally sinful and we didn't deserve you. And so we can, we can find that graceful prayer for them. So God, we pray that you help us to respond well online, in traffic, in the office, at home, anywhere and everywhere. Help us to remember this and, and to see you move through it. We, God, we, we thank you that we can trust you to take care of us without having to take matters into our own hands. We thank you that we can trust you to take care of them, whoever the thems may be. God, in your own timing and whatever way you know is best, we, don't, we can let go of it because we trust in our good, all-controlling God. I pray you help us to do that this week, to trust you more deeply this week and to see you move. And we, and we just ask all this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, we'll have more He Gets Us next week. Hope you have an awesome week. Feel free to say hi and connect with somebody before you leave.